3: Hi, and welcome to Concussion Talk Podcast. I'm Nick Mercer. Please visit my website at concussiontalk.com. We will find my ebook, old blog posts, and links to all of my podcasts on YouTube channel and anywhere else you hear about your podcasts within Spotify and Apple Podcasts and others. And before I start talking to my guest today, which is DPT, Gina Tosto Mancuso. I, I would like to thank my sponsor, Head Check Health. Concussion Talk Podcast is presented by Head Check Health. Head Check Health bridges the gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. To organizations like the Canadian Football League, Track Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada, who rely on Head Check Health. To improve communication optimized care visit headshothealth.com for more uh, i'm talking to jenna tosto mancuso who is a physio at well i'll let her actually describe it better i know i don't say sinai in new york city but uh i'll let her explain better and so welcome jenna thank you so much for doing this podcast
0: Thanks so much for having me. Um, yes, hi. My name is Jenna Tosto Mancuso. I am a physical therapist at the Abilities Research Center at Mount Sinai Hospital here in New York City. Um, and I have a pretty cool job in that I get to both work in research as well as clinical practice, um, primarily in the space of neuro rehab. So I get to. Um, really work on how we can integrate new technology and new advances in clinical practice to help more and more people after a neurological injury.
3: That's great, that's actually why I wanted to talk to you because we have this uh, neural rehab technology and I'm looking at your instrument and I know I'm looking down. Um, I'm looking at your neurophysical therapist advanced in rehab technology, and uh, also I guess you also in the long COVID enough too but i'll mention that talk about that I'll ask a question about that later but i wanted to ask you about just about uh well basically what is your your research your primary research in, in the neuro area
0: sure so my primary area of research is in neurotechnology so our center specializes in um both development and adoption of new neurotechnology for rehab practice so that includes working with industry partners on new devices that might be appropriate or helpful in the neuro rehab space Um, it also includes development of new rehab protocols and paradigms to help advance the field of neuro rehab so that's my primary area Um, also really focused in motor recovery and movement recovery
3: that, that's pretty. That's awesome because so I'm looking at some of your pictures now and just lot of like actual self-image and uh yeah advanced you know, wheelchair kind of like advanced or adaptive reality adaptive, adaptive technology so can you explain what what is your what do you can you can explain you I you know some probably you know, in trials you can't really talk about but uh, what is this that you're using they're using now do you find that's pretty helpful? technology-wise, do you find the best?
0: Absolutely. Um, I feel like we could have a conversation about this all day. It's kind of a, a growing area, which I'm really passionate and excited about. And so what we've learned in the past, let's say 10 to 15 years in research has really been the cornerstone of neuro rehab is vested in our ability to create rehabilitation programs that are high intensity, high repetition, um, driven to uh, address tasks that our patients and and anyone going through neurorehab wants to get better at. Um, So the technology that we're finding to have really amazing results is technology that allows us to Uh, Really focus on those facets while still helping patients and physical therapists or clinicians, be it PT, OT, you name it, um, get at those primary principles. And so like you had mentioned, um, our center, I I work quite frequently with exoskeletons and robotics, um, and it's a really cool area of rehab emerging more and more. Um, You know, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, that would have sounded like something totally crazy that we're going to use robotics and, and totally. But it's amazing to be able to do. And so I work a lot with exoskeletons and robotics. Um, I work a lot with virtual reality and augment- augmented reality. Um, really trying to think about how can we as therapists use technology to advance our practice, right? It's no longer just doing five repetitions of a movement in therapy, but rather let's like get at it and and really, really drive change because that's what changes the brain.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, just like the, uh, the technologies are just so seem almost not to say ubiquitous, but kind of at least are well known across here. Because uh, I was talking to last month uh, Scott Anderson of TJ's, which is also, I think, and he uh, has a lot of work with uh, concussion and and uh, virtual and reality, virtual augmented reality, reality as well. So can you explain a bit about where, why is that, where, how does that work with your rehab and say like concussion or?
0: injury at all. Sure. So um, one of our program focuses at our center more recently has been the development of a program for concussion. And so what we've tried to do is think about the technology that we are both have access to currently, but are also developing and how can we apply that to concussion. Um, and concussion is a really interesting area um, of practice because we've made really rapid changes in the way that we address concussion rehab. Um, Not very long ago, it was a matter of stay in a dark room and don't do anything until you feel better. And now we're realizing that a graded return to activity and a graded approach can be really, really helpful. And so virtual reality um, in the concussion space is a great way to start rehabilitation in that it allows us to number one, Create immersive environments for patients to experience real life things.
3: So you start off in like an empty room and then just, and just just it's all in the mind really.
0: Say that one more time.
3: Start off in like a a big gym, like empty room area or.
0: So yeah, that's. Where
3: do you situate your clients when you your patients? Yeah. Yeah.
0: For concussion. um, So our space actually, we just created, which is featured on my Instagram. Um, created a virtual reality room um, for our concussion rehab. Um, I work with an incredible team. Um, in addition to my team at Mount Sinai, uh, the program is called Studio Elsewhere, and they specialize in creating biophilic spaces for healthcare environments.
2: Biophilic?
0: biophilic so it's the yeah. idea that we that use It's pretty crazy. We use virtual reality um, and immersive experiential rooms. So, um, everything from the lighting to uh, we have a wall feature that is a virtual reality experience.
3: I saw your Instagram, they had the Aurora Borealis on your
0: wall there. That's exactly it. And so that wall that you see is interactive. Patients can interact with it via motion capture, so they can move with the environment. Um, And we really utilize those spaces, um, again, for a progressive return to activity, a progressive return. And concussion is unique in the fact that Uh, the symptoms that someone can experience after a concussion are really, really variable. I think some of the recent literature documents like nine to 10 different phenotypes of concussion, and that's not even the half of it as far as I'm concerned. Um, So really creating these virtual reality experiences allow us to tailor our interventions for what a patient is experiencing, while still creating environments that are supportive of recovery, they're not, you know, bright white hospital lights for someone who's light sensitive. They're not loud, noisy, distracting environments for someone who's heavily fatigued or someone who's having attention changes. Um, so that's really the backbone of a lot of what we do.
3: Nice. Do so you use uh, your exoskeleton uh, exos in, in coordinate like with, along with different cells at the same time, or do you use them separately? And so, it, it, sorry. Good.
0: Sorry. Okay. So currently we um we use them, uh can use them together. Currently we're using them separately just based on patient needs, but you can absolutely use them
3: together. Oh uh, that's good. So Dan, the uh, you said you were the concentration motor, you like the thing motor function as well. So does this XL exoskeleton primarily for motor recovery or is it or do you use it as in Is in more of a repetition? Like, do you know about modus Modus nova?
0: So, yeah, that's a good
3: repetition and stuff like that robotics.
0: Is that- yeah, that's it. exactly. So uh, exoskeletons are pretty amazing in that you can, as a therapist, they become a tool for you. So it's not that they are a one size fits all. Um, so I like to use exoskeletons for a variety of reasons, right? For patients who um, are working on motor recovery purely. So maybe they have a weaker side of their body after a stroke, or maybe they've had a spinal cord injury. Um, I, have
3: a, I have a brain, a severe brain injury and I have a weaker left side. So how would you, use- Use so so we well, use me as an example. And yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: so we use that just because <laughs> that. how much would you use that for me, whose left side is generally weaker and uncoordinated? Really.
0: Great question. So left-sided weakness is a perfect example of how we use exoskeletons. So. When we look at weakness after a brain injury, we have a bit more of a focal concentration of why the weakness is happening. And so what the exoskeleton allows us to do, and let's take, for instance, I work quite frequently with the exo exoskeleton, which is a lower extremity exoskeleton, It's designed for walking, but there are a ton of other ones out there um, and there are ones for both upper extremity and lower. Um, I also work with something called the Armeo Spring or the Armeo Power, which is for upper extremity. Um, So depending on our interest area, what I like the exoskeleton for, let's talk the walking one. um, After a brain injury, if you have left-sided weakness, the strength and coordination for walking on that side is like changing the way that you walk in general, how far you can walk, how safely you can walk, The exoskeleton is powered by motors, um, and we as therapists are able to program the exoskeleton for a particular walking pattern. So now that we have our patients in this exoskeleton, they're motor supported, so we know that they're safe. It will give them the support that they need to move their leg um, should they need it, but it also allows them to start to move on their own. Now, this is the perfect recipe for that high-intensity, high-repetition walking this. And really what that does is it's called neuroplasticity. So it primes the brain to make changes after an injury. Um, And really that's that's the bread and butter of motor recovery. So that's just an example of one of the exoskeletons. Like I said, there are other ones that we use with uh, gamified rehab. So meaning the patient is able to interact with a game uh, that allows them to really get a ton of repetition, ton of movement of their limb or ton of task practice while still doing something kind of fun and playing a game and that's a that's a whole other area of, uh, of rehab.
3: Cool so so I mean like for me I was injured in '03 so that, I know that's 18 years ago now so is that how late how that late is Fred nervousstis really? I know obviously earlier it's better because you get to, but I mean not tourity because if your brain injured gear, Your brain injured gear, you know, let it rest for it. But um, you know, how uh, so how like how did, did, how much difficult is it for say someone who's a year out to someone who's ten year, five years, ten years out? Is it
0: a great question. Um, So the literature is really emerging in this area. And this is actually an area I'm I'm pretty passionate about. Um, I I think early on, we always acknowledge the idea that there is spontaneous recovery, meaning within the first six months to a year, the brain will just spontaneously start to recover. But that being said, uh, I and, and our group is really firm believers that we can continue to see changes and see progress through chronic change through chronic individual injury. So meaning if you're five, I have patients who are five years out, I have patients who are 20 years out. Um, and we're still working on recovery. Um, I'm a really firm believer that rehab is a, after an injury, it's a lifelong process, but it's a process nevertheless that we can still see meaningful changes. Um, and we're able to facilitate facilitate those changes even more so because of technology. So absolutely, um, across the continuum, can definitely look to see changes. Um, every patient story is different, so I never speak in definitives on what to, well, you will see and how you will see it, yeah. but I'm afraid to know it, absolutely.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've noticed a lot of changes, a lot of improvements for my everything, walking speech, and those, those struggles like well so, like, stick. I mean like now eight, this 18 years out but i am doing a lot of physical activity. You're looking the, fly, the swimming and walking and uh, you're still the exoskeleton. Uh, walking, I got back to walking fairly within a few years, but uh, within eight, you know, a year and a half really. But um, but uh, say for, I, I, I still don't have the balance to say ride a bike or jump or run. So has, does the exoskeleton skeleton? XL skeleton? help with that sort of activity, or is it more of that more of a like to your brain heals?
0: So that's a an interesting area to work with, right? And when we think about changes to walking or more dynamic balance things, things yeah. like jumping or running or riding a bike.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: there are multiple components of movement that go into that. So in addition to your strength, it's coordination, it's balance, it's timing, it's planning and sequencing. So so we take something that you know sounds kind of simple and it's actually rather complicated um, but absolutely things like gamified rehab balance training exoskeleton use so really working on more of those dynamic tasks um, are definitely shown to be beneficial the literature is coming out more and more and more looking at things like use of exoskeletons and robotics uh, for more chronic training in those areas Um, And clinically and anecdotally speaking, we definitely can see those changes. Um, I, in my practice, I use robotics and exoskeletons and gamified rehab, not just for someone who is weak, um, but perhaps for someone whose type of brain injury or stroke has resulted in just pure coordination changes um, or who is pure balance changes, um you can definitely use those. And and again, it becomes a tool in the toolbox of your therapist uh to really get creative in their use.
3: Yeah, they're they are they, they I mean, obviously the sounds up and they're probably fairly pricey now but they're getting they more comes in line they more purple. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so they, exactly. So they are a tad expensive. And the key thing with exoskeletons right now is many of them are designed for, um, in clinic use, meaning that a patient doesn't need to buy them to use at their home. Um, yeah, so it's definitely something to consider. More affordable things are definitely coming out regularly. And this is kind of the cool thing with technology's advancement. Um, in our clinic, we often will use things like the Google Cardboard, which is for virtual reality training. And I use that a lot for patients who are having pain or who are having or practicing motor imagery. So using their mindfulness and and using imagery to help with motor changes. Definitely thinking about other gamified rehabilitation. So gamified rehab meaning we can either take gaming systems that are designed for rehabilitation, or on the contrary, taking gaming systems that people are gaming with just for fun and using them for therapy purposes. Right. And, and that's another program we have at our center, which right. I, I think is actually one of our more fun ones. It's yeah, kind
3: of cool. That it is, yeah. All yeah. Right. So. Of the younger. You do do you deal with younger patients, younger patients, or do you deal with people who have been in, in therapy for a while?
0: Yeah, I'm actually uh, really fortunate that I get to work with patients across the age span. So I work with pediatrics, working with kids with neurological injuries, all the way through geriatrics, working with older adults who have had neurological injuries. And so I will say that gamified rehab and adaptive gaming, meaning taking gaming systems that are, again, normally designed for regular play, but using adaptive controllers and buttons so that we can use them in a therapy context, um, has been found to be pretty enjoyable across the life been. Um, I have a lot of my patients who are older adults who really find it fun and and it's a great way just to get at that task practice and repetition for sure
3: and I am I'm, I'm like I've been looking at your so uh, do, do you want to just talk about your Instagram because I'm starting at that the whole time so I'm listening to you but your uh, stuff so talk about your your Instagram and your other social media where's the best place to look at your stuff
0: Is yeah Social media has become kind of a cool thing because we get to connect with people around the world. And that's one of my favorite parts I of heard my heard job, heard admittedly. That. Yeah. Yeah I, love, yeah, I love that connectedness. I think it's really fun to be able to share our experiences, especially in, in neuro rehab. Um, it's a shared community. We can all learn from each other. Um, I learn from my patients every day. So it's, it's a cool opportunity to connect um but as far as social media goes yes i am on instagram i am at d p t jenna n y c um also we our center has a really great instagram abilities research center um you can find us on instagram as well and and we're constantly sharing some cool stuff so by all means check us out we are also on twitter and uh we have our website so i i always welcome people to check out what we're doing we love sharing
3: <laughs> yeah and cool stuff i'm looking at your uh this Sultan you have a a chair on your you posted this on let's see now where's it February February 4th and, yeah uh, that's just Aaron's that was just called like that. like, like <laughs> just, um,
0: I think I know which one you're talking now. about I'm gonna double check on my own social media to make sure we're talking the same picture yeah, but I believe right. we're talking about our um Yep so that is our um on February the 4th that is our exoskeleton the exo exoskeleton designed by exobionics and the image above that is our motion capture based virtual reality system um it's a new program that is uh, new to our center it's actually really quite exciting. Um, it's called the MindPod. Um, and the idea behind it is it takes uh, patients through a full virtual reality experience. So that's actually the full room. Um, it has yes. lights that coordinate with it. And the patients interact with the activity by movement. So there are camera sensors that will pick up arm movement so that the patient okay. that is. Yeah, he's controlling all of like he is controlling that fish in the video. So all he right. is now. Yeah, so it's a great way of working on, um, we consider it to be non-test specific, meaning that it's movement-based, it's cognitive-based, and it really just allows patients to start to explore their movement. Um, and it's a great opportunity, again, to do something kind of fun. Um, I like to get creative. I think it's a great opportunity as therapists to make therapy fun and make it inviting and make it engaging because we're able to do more in that sense than if I were just doing really short, sweet, and to the point movements.
3: I, should, I want to ask you uh, the, the vision thing as I mentioned to you. I mentioned yeah. just, just today um, that the, uh, the Ironman suit, uh, there's a, did you hear of you helping someone, or I think it's you? It's you helping someone in wearing that Iron Man suit walk. Is that was that would that be a danger, brain injury patient, or is that someone who's been struggling with spinal cord injury?
0: So we work with both uh, patient types. Um, I believe the video we're referencing is a patient after a stroke. Um, So we work with patients after stroke, after brain injury, with neurodegenerative diseases, things like multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, et cetera, um, as well as um, patients after any type of other movement disorder. So uh, again, all of those devices, things like exoskeletons and VR and and you name it, um, it's a great tool in a toolbox. So when we look and we work with our patients and, and we create goals, right? We collaborate with the patients to see what they want to get to. Uh, we've got all these really awesome tools to play with and uh, to really strategize how we can use them in their therapies to meet their goals.
3: Has there been like one example, and I actually can't get specific, but of someone whose goals were difficult or I mean, obviously, at least you find that's like, I want to run in and I want that, and you can say, okay. Working at something to do this, not that it's straightforward for anybody. But they, but there's more. There's probably more uh, goals are actually more common versus there. I mean, any goals are just been like just fun to figure out how you can get the extra, the extra skill or solid or what you can use to really really get them to where they want to be. But their goals may be a bit different than or just examples
0: of that, yeah. Yeah, goal setting is, and I'm sure for anyone who's ever been to physical therapy or any type of therapy for any reason, um, we as therapists love goals. We love the word goals. (laughs) We're all about making them and setting them and achieving them. Uh, So I think what's an important thing when someone is sitting down with their therapist to make their goals is to think about, and we use the term smart goals. So thinking about goals that are specific, that they are measurable, that they are achievable, um, that they can be um, repeated, and that they are time-based. So thinking about SMART goals, meaning um, can I actually get to this goal? How quick can I get to this goal? What do I need to do to get to this goal? Mm-hmm. Um, so when I work with my patients, I really like to make sure that we're collaborating on this. It's a dialogue. Um,
3: a short-term, I am, those short-term goals that so you'd say, okay, you get that goal and now you can go to this goal? Or is a- so we
0: Exactly. We set both long-term goals and short-term goals. So short-term saying, okay, let's see, we have four weeks here. What can we do in four weeks? Okay. Well, what is the long-term goal then? What can we do in six months? What do you want to be able to do in a year? And we start to slowly put those smart term, a smart short-term goals together to get to you to to the long-term goal. And so what device or what piece of technology we use to get For each goal, might be different, and it and it might be a combination of using technology while still doing some more traditional things. Right? Technology enhances practice; it doesn't eliminate it. And I think that's a big thing that we want to recognize as therapists, but also patients: that uh, your robot is not going to replace your therapist. It's a tool that we use to make your life better. Yeah. Yeah. I hope not either. yeah we, uh, we're we're hoping, yeah, exactly. The idea that we're, we're hoping this is something that will advance your practice, in, both as a clinician, but more importantly for patients, that it enhances your rehab experience, that we take what we know about neuroscience and yeah. the brain and the brain's ability to change, and we facilitate those changes externally through technology and that's not to discount that you still might be working on more traditional balance training more traditional strength training more traditional walking training but uh thinking about those goals and how we establish those goals, we like to throw in the, the medium or the means for which we're going to get there. So if the goal is walking, right, and we set uh, that you're going to walk a certain distance with a certain amount of assistance in a certain amount of time, maybe the, the main piece of equipment or maybe the main means we train that is through walking an exoskeleton, walking in a harness system for body weight support, walking with um, electrical stimulation to help facilitate muscles that might be not doing their normal routine. Right. Uh, so it's definitely a collaborative experience, but an experience nevertheless.
3: Yeah. And this, uh, this question is a bit, you uh, know, not with the, uh, it's a bit off the ball, but the, uh, have you ever read Lisa Genova? any of her books?
0: I, I can't say I'm familiar, but I'd love to learn more.
3: She's, uh, she's a she's she's an author, but she's also a PhD in neuroscience in I want to say Berkeley, but anyway, California probably probably somewhere. Um, she does she's written books. Uh, St. Alice wrote St. Alice. That was the one that she, uh, maybe it's a movie. Julianne Moore won an Oscar for. Um, but she wrote books about talks about about like stroke and and Parkinson's and uh early onset al- early onset Alzheimer's and uh that's I, mean, I was just wondering about because because there's one book called the uh, every note play or L- that every Note played it's about a pianist who who had a stroke or no ALS, i believe and uh or he lost, or, I mean, he lost the ability to play piano so do you ever have people who who uh really didn't lose tolly's his blood, but you know it's a book copy it shes that's not right. Or she better story than I'm telling you about that. Uh, she uh, the, do you ever have people that want to say learn piano or learn or want to get their hands back or they're like not just walking or running or pushing weights or whatever, but thing more 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 dexterous, more fine tuned. Absolutely. Doing, you know, right, so. Yeah.
0: Ab- absolutely. Um, definitely. You know. I think the two and this. I think is different patient by patient. But I would say the top two things that my patients look to get better with are walking or standing and mobility, and then use of their hands and their arms. Um, and I think if I, I like to think of it twofold, those are the two big things that we all use and need to get through our day to day life, yeah. right? Being able to be mobile, but also being able to use arms, hands, uh, shoulders for for self-advocacy. Um, and there are really this is a really amazing area of emerging research, but also of emerging technology. And so we do work with exoskeletons, robotics, um, body weight support systems that allow our patients to start to practice movement of their arms and their hands um, to start to target more focused goals. So um, some of the more uh, you know baseline goals might be to be able to get dressed and to use your arms put your shirt over your head um or something a bit more advanced like having fine motor control and dexterity for i mean activity of daily living might be eating um more advanced tasks might be motor control for playing a piano or for painting um and those goals absolutely are things we see and and some of my more favorite things to address yeah
3: Yeah. as well i see those those more greedy which i wrote you about earlier but the uh you're just, I'm looking at right now the uh, you're, you're on your computer screen here of the, the eyes and so nystagmus and uh and I, too, first I ask, can use to explain what nystagmus is to pretty your yeah.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, nystagmus is an ocular change that we can see after either a central, meaning a brain um, base change or a vestibular peripheral, meaning your peripheral vestibular organ. And so a nystagmus presents generally as either spontaneous or evoked, meaning that it can happen spontaneously by just resting or evoked, meaning it can be triggered with head movement movement of your body, et cetera. And so what that generally, uh, just kind of visualizing what a nystagmus is, it's usually a beating of the eye, either side to side, up and down, torsionally, or a combination of one of those three.
3: Right, exactly, I mean, I'm gonna do it now. I think it's been 18 years, but I'm finally going through, and this is just after I had three three eye surgeries, three neuro-ophthalmologic surgeons. Uh, not surgeon surgeries on my eyes to try to fix my vision but now I'm doing vision therapy and uh, and I've been told and i, I did been told before this so it's very apparent that I have nystagmus in my left eye and it's I it can I it can see when I cover when I, when I cover what well, I it's fine but when I show both eyes and I can I'm like constantly on my left my, my left eye I can see the image kind of move and that's just the beating of it, like being in the guy just trying to figure out what the hexagon is. is That is that more bounced, that more cellular, or is that more ocular.
0: So it's, it's a little difficult to say by just looking at it, right? There are a lot of tests that go into diagnosing the nystagmus and the cause of the nystagmus. And so what you just described sounds very similar to what's called like a skew deviation, where you would kind of cover one side and the eye moves and uncover it and it moves again. Um, and eye changes and ocular changes are very, very common after brain injury. Um, I will admit neuro is not my area of practice or expertise, but it's a really, really common area To look into and nystagmus can again can happen for a multitude of reasons. Um, We have a ton of really really great tests for nystagmus, but also for ocular changes after brain injury. And vision therapy can be really really helpful for patients who are experiencing those changes.
3: And yeah, and so I I saw the deal of of someone in in BC, British Columbia, Canada, talking about the uh, the crystals in your ears and stuff and. So she's more of a vestibular, she was a vestibular therapist, but she's talking about how like that can cause an or just like the, so yeah, so do you know how much about that?
0: Yeah, that's exactly. So when, like we had said early, right, nystagmus can be related to a central change, meaning of your brain. So after a brain injury, you can have a central lesion or injury that causes the nystagmus, mostly in the vestibular processing centers, or you can have that peripheral vestibular change. And so the peripheral vestibular system lives in the inner ear, um, it is uh, a combination of three canals as well as two other primary components. And so, what you just described with the crystals is often called BPPV, the nine proxismal positional vertigo.
1: Right. Really long I mean, name.
3: It's, it's a <laughs> I have, i leave my because I'm seeing Lauren Zayek's tongue. She's a guest on my show. I do you know if she is, but anyway, yeah. yeah.
0: Exactly. So BPPV can happen after a head injury as well, especially a traumatic brain injury because of the blunt action of the head injury itself. And so what that BPPV is, is essentially, like you said, um, in those three canals, you have crystal carbonate, um, little crystals essentially that have a primary location where they should be maintained. And should they be knocked off of that the, out of that place yeah. it can create that dizziness right it's a it's a mismatch in the information that's being provided by those canals because your vestibular system is responsible for a linear acceleration um, as well as angular acceleration so anytime your body or your head is moving that vestibular system primarily based in those uh, additional components as well as the canals uh tell our body and our brain where we are in space and so if they get knocked out of place um Physically patients feel dizzy or motion sensitive and visually we see an nystagmus.
3: Right. Okay. That, yeah, I you know, I know I'm, I'm a complex patient a uh, complex situation I got it in my head, my, my, doing my brain is but you know, but yeah, it makes sense. And this I guess say, vision therapy. I've been doing it now for four weeks. Or this is my this is my fourth week and it's been going really well. It's been I don't say fun, but I actually like it. It's in ch- ch- very challenging which is something I like doing. And uh yeah, so hopefully this will help improve my assuming gold vision here to that. But uh, yeah. Nystagmus does that does that improve with, Do you know if that improves with, just with your general uh obviously well, yes, if that's steady near fear. Never mind, I answer my own question in my head. I tell you cause your vision stay or then of your mouse will improve but uh okay so I guess now I'll ask you about uh your long your long COVID area you're in that in that department or has that what is the long COVID physio what is that yeah about?
0: yeah um I can definitely talk on that um so in my non-COVID days um I am a neuropT but um the very long story short of it. So uh, New York City here in March of 2020, um, we very quickly became the epicenter of the epicenter uh, for COVID-19, the acute uh, uh, beginning of the pandemic. And so our group had previously created a remote patient monitoring program, which essentially is an app we developed to help monitor patients at home uh, to track recovery of, and our original iteration was in neurological injuries, primarily stroke, um, to track their recovery uh, through things like their blood pressure to make sure it was maintained and safe, um, their heart rate, their motor recovery. So we use this app-based system to monitor patients at home and watch how they're recovering. And so when COVID hit New York City, our program really, really quickly developed. And by really, really quickly, I mean in like a 24-hour period, yeah. created an app for COVID. And so through that app, we, throughout the pandemic, the peak surge of the pandemic, so here in New York City, that was um, March through give or take May of last year, uh, we monitored over 1,000 patients in New York City watching their recovery and trying to understand how their symptoms were progressing, making sure they had medical support if their symptoms worsened, um, and really just created the safety net for patients. And so what we learned in this process was about 10 to 20% of those patients, uh, they weren't getting better, and they were reporting new symptoms. And that's really how we began to identify what is now known as long COVID. And so in response to that, um, our team, um, I've been heading the physical therapy end of things. We've worked very closely with the rehab department. We've created a rehabilitation program for patients with long COVID. And so that program is now being nationally and internationally shared, we um, worked helping to care for hundreds of patients and working with uh, over hundreds of therapists to really try and get the word out there about how we might be able to help people with long COVID.
3: And I feel in March, I, I, I had a podcast with that Michael Kaplan and, um, the president of the other the president of the French Association of America. And she was saying that the uh his, his law partner, whose name now I lost in my head. But um, anyway, uh yeah, so it's just in that there's a they don't know how the COVID affects the brain. There was some evidence that maybe it does affect the brain. So I don't know, did you learn anything from your your experience in long COVID that that's you can share? I'll see probably some stuff you read like, it's a bit tender now. I can't really share, but you do know what this handshake did as a
0: sure. Yeah, so the it's a really frustrating thing. Frustrating, yeah. but still enlightening with long COVID, and that. This is a brand new diagnosis. Um, We as a medical community have only been seeing it now. I mean, the acute COVID infection, just over a year, long COVID, probably about a year. And so in medical terms, that's that's really quite a a brief bit of time. And so unfortunately, there is not enough evidence right now to firmly say um, if uh, COVID is getting, you know, if there is a neurological implication or a pure um, pathophysiology implication for COVID in the brain, um, we do see manifestation of symptoms, things like brain fog, um, cognitive changes, et cetera, in both acute COVID and long COVID. So I think that area of research is really going to begin to take off. Um, and until we have a little bit more data, I'm always hesitant to speak on it, but it's definitely a symptom we're acknowledging. Good,
3: good. Well, yeah, but um, this has been a great uh, conversation about just with technology and, and just, and brain related. To- not so brain real brain rehab, yes, but also just about how uh, technology can be used to help improve neuroplasticity of, or just help encourage neuroplasticity of the brain of anybody, any stroke or concussion or brother severe brain injury. Um, yeah, so, Jen, do you want to just tell me your, where they can find you again or I you know Mount Sinai, and, but I mean online and where I in if they're in New York City? hopefully you get some listeners there
0: yeah absolutely um i always love connecting so my instagram is usually the easiest way to get to me at dpt jenna nyc and yes if anyone is ever in the area and or just wants to reach out and have a conversation I, i love to do that
3: great well thank you so much jen that's been a very enlightening discussion so thanks again
0: thanks so much for having me bye
3: music at the beginning of this podcast is by ben sound